Hello and welcome to episode three of Accountable. My name's Jay and it's the first one in a few weeks. Obviously we've had the festive period or Christmas and New Year's for the traditionalists out there. So I hope you had a really good festive period, Christmas period, whatever you want to call it. And you feel refreshed and rejuvenated for 2022 and uh, hoping like I am that it's not just a 2021 DLC pack as 2021 was to 2020. Anyway, that's about as deep as I'm going to go into the current situation. As far as I am concerned, this year will be a better year. So I'm going to basically recap over what's been going on in my life. Um, there have been quite significant and substantial changes. Um, a couple of experiences that I've gone through and kind of a takeaway, which is always what we want to do. Not a takeaway in the sense of something to eat, although that would be good right now, but no. Um, I kid. I don't know if you call it, do we call it takeaways in anything else other than, or take, I know it's takeout in America, but it's takeaway in our weird and wonderful country in the UK. But anyway, so I'll we'll talk initially about the anxiety of creating a new episode, which is something that I have with various projects that I have, um, have suffered more and more of in the last couple of years. And what I, more importantly, what I'm doing to kind of combat against that, which is something that's actually bleeding over into other things that I do in my life. So what do I mean by, by the anxiety of it? So anyone that has anything that has any kind of deadline, whether it be work or um, home situation or the creative process, the moment you say you're going to do something, there is an innate anxiety that kind of niggles away at you um, as to why you won't hit that that deadline. Now, for some, it's far less than others. For some, they are far more able and capable of moving past that and achieving and um, accomplishing that goal. Although I am, I am staggered to find anyone that isn't capable of achieving a goal that they set out. I think it's just that they, they tend to talk themselves out of it. They have a conversation with themselves and themselves win. So obviously they will not achieve what they need to do. <clears throat> and I'm completely guilty of that also. So I did the pilot um, to this podcast and I did the first episode. Um, and then I kind of, the self-doubt kind of set in like, oh, well, who really wants to listen to me waffle on and ramble? Because I suppose... The reason why I wanted to do this in the first place was to be accountable to myself and to document stuff that's going on in my life in the way that I know how to communicate. And people in general seem to like the way that I communicate. Um, but then, because my brain is my brain, it, it disregards all that information. Because well, that that we will shelve those 41 years of, of experience that you have and we're going to pretend like everything's anew and you just no one's going to want to listen to you and your takes are going to be bad and you're going to ramble and people just won't want to listen at all. And that's essentially what happened. So I was always going to take a break over Christmas anyway because especially this year with things that have gone on in my life, um, Christmas is always an important time of year for me, not because we're 
traditionalist or religious in any way, shape or form, but just that I think it's the one time of year where family can really, really take precedent over everything else. and You can really just decompress and spend a few days with the people that you deem to be the nearest and dearest and enjoy just having a couple of fucking days off from everything. You can shut the door, lock it. No one's going to call the police. You, you basically you strap your kids in. You're like, right, you ain't leaving. Let's let's do this. And you eat some good food. Some of you drink. We don't. Although I had a rum. That was the entirety. We didn't. We had champagne. We had wine, but no one drank any. We just didn't because no one felt like they needed to. Apart from my kids, my kids really wanted to. I've got a 15 and a, a 14 year old, and we do let them have a, a very small tipple at Christmas time. And they were all about the alcohol. Um, even so much that I said, right, okay, you can buy a beer this year. I will let you buy a beer. And my uh, wonderful middle son, Joshua, um, picked the one beer out of the entire store that was non-alcoholic. So he was very miffed. Not as miffed as his older brother was. His older brother was extremely annoyed at him. So I ended up getting them like a, an IPA anyway. But yes, they had a beer each and they had a sippy sip of mom and dad's Sailor Jerry's. But I don't, I, again, I, so Christmas is important to us. So I was always going to take that time off. But then um, I've kind of been semi quite busy um, sorting stuff out with schooling and obviously the COVID regulations changing on, a, on a, every other fucking day and trying to sort out that and, and everything else has been quite stressful. And there's also some other personal stuff that's going on in the background that, that, that doesn't need to be brought to the forefront, but is not the funnest of things in the world. So, yeah, so... um, But, yeah, so I then struggled kind of to get back into the groove, and then I was kind of like, well, should I really? Do I really need to do this? Do I really need to be putting myself through this? And the, the overriding um, consensus is, yes, I absolutely do. And the difference being to now than what I what I used to be like and should I say more importantly that my new kind of healthier regime is teaching me that it doesn't matter how long it takes you to get back on that metaphysical horse as long as you get back on that metaphysical horse it doesn't matter and in my mind and I presume a lot of other people's you have like um, a set time period in your brain that you're like, whatever well, I don't do by this time, I'm not going to do it. If I don't accomplish it by this time, I'm not going to do it. And you've just, and you've got to, like most things, and like I mentioned, I go back to the analogy I had in the last uh, episode where you're papering over cracks or you're, you're, you're covering cracks um, instead of dealing with them first and making sure that they're not, where they're rooted and where they're connected to. Um, you've got to accept them and deal them. You can't just cover them up because you, you're just never going to make headway on it. So I, I kind of sat and went, well, okay, it doesn't matter. It's okay. I'll take another day. And I was supposed to record this episode yesterday and um, me and my wife went out for a huge walk because we just bought walking boots because, you know, well, we have plans of doing a half marathon later in this year. So we thought we'd uh, we'd make a start. So we went on a, a nice leisurely long walk. 
um, yesterday and then I came home and I was kind of tired and I was in a bit of pain because I've only recently just gone back to the gym after the festive period. So obviously I've gone from like feeling great to being in agony again because, you know, that's what gyms do. They, do. they don't make you feel great. They make you healthier, but they just make you in constant pain. Or maybe that's just a thing when you're in your 40s. I don't know. Anyway. Um, but again, I, I was like, oh, well, I didn't do it yesterday. Should I do it today? And I was like, yes, you do. Yes, you do. You are doing it today. Because it doesn't matter that I didn't do it last week or I didn't do it yesterday. It matters that I do it. So here I am. I'm proving myself right. And that's something we will touch on later on in today's episode, if I remember. Hopefully I will. But yes, festive period was fantastic. Um, a fun time was had by all. My wallet hated it every single moment of it. And he's regretting it ever since. But the kids were happy. My wife was happy. She got um, a salt lamp the size of a small human. So, you know, there's all that. So, yes, it was a very good time had by all. And I hope that everyone had a great time um, as well. But my main point was about it doesn't matter when you when you get back on that horse. It's the, the fact that you get back on that horse. And the reason that helped me, one of the reasons that helped me is um, I got some feedback at a time when I was kind of doubting because I'm a very firm believer of what I'm about to say. Really firm. And, and it's taken until now to me to really kind of cement this. But I had some feedback um, from a friend, but it's someone who I trust very, 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 very well. And have known for quite some time now. And our families are intertwined forever. But he um, listened to the podcast and gave some feedback about how he took what I've said about my um, cracks analogy. Uh, not to be confused with my crack analogy. And implemented it in his own situation. And then proceeded to say some very, very, very kind things, most of which I'm sure he meant. But that really, really hit me in a good way. Because the one thing I kind of, I take away from this, and this is the thing that I've, I've been, I was harping on about a second ago, is that you should always... Trust your gut or trust yourself apart from when it's about you. Because I've come to the realisation that I have shit for brains when I when it comes to my opinion about myself. And I can give you two very big examples of that. So one in a creative sense and one in a physiological sense, I suppose. So very, very quickly before so we move on. So this isn't like a fucking four hour podcast. Um I have been trained and training in audio and video for most of my adult life. In fact, most of my life in general. I started studying um sound engineering and sound in general and a fascination in audio um since I was uh, sixteen. I did a GMVQ in audio and sound engineering. And I've been fascinated by it ever since. Worked in radio, um, in the background, learned about um, signal chains and EQ and 
uh, just anything and everything regarding it from when I first started off um, doing the sound engineering course and, and and then I worked for a radio station and learned about doing vox pops out on the street and then learned about timings um, about about being a radio presenter and so on and so forth and took that into stuff that I wanted to do and it's always been with me it's always been in the back of my mind always been in the front of the thing that I'm passionate about other than tech in general but that's a different story um, but I always thought that I was not good enough, always, and it and it has allowed me to um, excuse myself for not being where I should be, or not being involved in the industry that I should be involved in. And yet, I speak to other people, loads of other people, not just friends and family, but people that have no relation to myself in any way, shape, or form that give me information about how good I am in certain things and how much knowledge I have in certain things. So the consensus is me, my dumbass, has held myself back instead of relying on the opinions of others because really the opinions of others are the ones that dictate whether I made it in an industry or not. Not just me. I'm not hiring myself, although I kind of am now, but that's neither here nor there. So that's the creative sense of it. And that has that has been many times over, whether it be um, video, because I've I've now put that same passion into recording video and editing videos. Um, I have a holistic healing, which is a YouTube channel I I now run with my wife, where we create kind of uh, meditation videos, and I've started doing VFX work and stuff like that, and I've seemed to have picked it up quite quickly. Um, but again, it's stuff that I've held myself back on and said I'm not good enough. I I have to over stylize everything because i i i cannot i think i have to know everything now rather than learning on the fly which is what most other people do and because of that it affects me and help hold me back so shit for brains example one example two i have suffered i have been an extremely lucky individual in the fact that i was clear well super morbidly obese um have survived that so far touch wood have survived amputation, have survived septicemia, um, osteomyelitis, a, a cavalcade of dumb fuckery. And I always think that I'm not good enough for this. I'm not, I, I cannot achieve that. I cannot do that. And it ble leaked into when I, when the wheels finally fell off my anxiety became so bad that I just felt I was dying all the time. In fact, I still think that now. In a lesser, it's not as over, um, it's not as overbearing as it was before, where I would be waking up in the middle of the night and asking Nicola to call an ambulance because I thought I was having a heart attack and sitting in A&E and pacing up and down and telling them, I think I'm going to, I mean, some bizarre shit really are, looking back but i have i'm in the last let's say 5 years i think i'm i think i must have thought i was dying at least a thousand times 2000 times let's say a thousand times and i have been wrong every single time my death to think i'm going to die ratio <laughs> is 100% i am wrong 100% of the time now on any subject matter, I have shit for brains. 
So when it comes to my health and well-being, I have to learn that medical professionals are far more qualified on telling me whether I'm going to die than I am on whether I'm going to die. And that's, you have to take those ideas and either um, chunk them up or chunk them down, as one of my many mentors say, would say. You would use the expression of chunking up and chunking down. So making things... Um, Multiplying exponentially or or dividing exponentially. Equating it to every part of your life. So when it comes to myself, I cannot be trusted on the opinions that I have about me. Therefore, I have to force myself to allow others to um, scrutinize what I do and pass judgment on what I do. But I also need to realize that I don't do not take the actions or, or or information of one. I have to be scientific about this. So you have to take a, a general consensus. So it's a lot of things to process, but believe you me, it's working great for me at the moment. Whether that changes or not, I do not know. And if it does, I will let you know. So yes, those are the main takeaways. I'm there, what, 20 minutes in and I've literally gone through my opening thing that should have taken like two or three minutes so yes that is the anxiety of making the new episode and how good feedback affects that and that's what we're going to take forward so i would ask anyone that is listening to this a couple of words a couple of lines what do you like about it what do you not like about it it doesn't matter if you want to be an arsehole about it or not it does not matter but i would appreciate that and obviously tell your friends and family. That also helps. So we've done Christmas and New Year's. We've done my opening opening thoughts. So one of the big things that, that happened to me recently, it's going to sound really stupid, but it's not. But it is. Again, listening to myself, I've got shit for brains, so it's probably brilliant. Um, we went on Boxing Day to see the new Spider-Man film, Nowhere, No Way Home. Now, I cannot say that I've paid much attention to Spider-Man since the first Andrew Garfield film. So he was the second iteration of the newest iteration of Spider-Man. And I have watched... I, I have. It doesn't mean that I haven't seen um, Tom Holland's Spider-Man. I saw him in Avengers, uh, so Civil War was the first time I saw him, which I think was the first time that everyone saw him. Um, or possibly not. I'm, I'm not super au fait in the Marvel arc at the moment. It's I am a big comic book fan, but I'm, I must admit I, I did get fatigued with the amount of super with Superman, superhero movies and supervillains. Let's not forget the absolute turd burger that was um, Suicide Squad. But I digress. So... Um, recently my, my middle son Joshua again has become an enormous Spider-Man fan and I suppose in actual fact there was a one Spider-Man film I did absolutely enjoy in the last couple of years and that was Into the Spider-Verse so that was the animated iteration which there is a new one coming out I think it's this year but I really enjoyed that, that, that we went to see that at the cinema and it was all of us all came away with that really really enjoying it so much so that I think we watched it like, I think we've watched it easily like 10, 20 times by now. 
So, but I did watch the last Spider-Man and enjoyed it. So when this one came out, we were like, right, let's go and see it. We're going to see the cinema. We thought Boxing Day would be a good idea. We were going to go and see it just before Christmas, but then with everything going on with Omicron, we thought the quietest period would have been Boxing Day because not I don't think many people go to the cinema. And we were kind of right. There was only like four other people there. But we went. We went to the Odeon Lux, which is um, basically a cinema with comfy chairs that recline, which I must admit are worth the extra money. I I can never go back. It's I've seen it. I know it exists. So to be sat in those same crusty seats that you see usually apart from the only the only seats i will gladly um sit in again are at the prince charles theater in leicester square because they have those old like big double seater sofas that i'm sure many a couple have canoodled in um but yeah i they're, they're extremely comfy seats and, I, and maybe maybe they're not and i just have such like romanticized kind of um memories of it going to watch like three or four films back to back then maybe that's the well i've only been there a couple of times that's the thing I, i've like created this entire universe but anyway i'm not digressing again so we went and saw the new the new um, spider-man and I, I thought it was phenomenal easily the best spider-man film i've seen easily and i was a big fan of Tobey Maguire. i thought he was a really good spider-man I thought the I think that the Spider-Man has always been a more rom, um not romantic but more kind of drama specific superhero. You have like the Captain Americas and the Iron Mans which is essentially all about I mean it's about internal struggle all superhero films are but Spider-Man because he's a teenager I think it has a specific angst to them which i really associate to and really enjoy so i thought that the film was fantastic i think the pacing of it was really good it did not seem like two hours at all it flew by i think the cast was brilliant i think bringing back um the all three spider-men which was brilliant i think it made me appreciate just how good andrew garfield actually is i think he really Really, I don't know. It's it's weird because I I he did he never struck me as a particularly. He wasn't a bad Spider Man. He was, he, but he wasn't like a fantastic one. But I just think him interacting with Tobey Maguire and and Tom Holland, I think they just it just really worked. Really worked. I wasn't fan. I wasn't sold on the the villains aspect of it. I was not a big fan of that, and I'm not going to spoil the the story any further. But if you don't know that they all come back, then what rock have you been living under by this point seeing as the film's been out for several weeks now um but yeah so we went there it was really good really uplifting storyline i did cry at a couple of points i did get weepy at a couple of points but i'm like that with films i'm openly and very emotional about films always have been always will be um and then and the reason why it stood out to me was because i then in the evening time so i i, I had a problem sleeping recently which I've had throughout my entire life, but it's become quite bad again recently. Um, I watched the Anthony Bourdain um, film. Now, obviously, for those that do not know, Anthony Bourdain is a was a um, a chef, not a particularly good one, um, 
who um, survived um, heroin addiction and a hedonistic lifestyle, shall we say, and then became quite possibly one of the greatest literary minds of any generation, to be honest with you. I don't think I've ever invested as much time into anyone that that writes. I mean, he create. I mean, he creates massive amounts of television. Um, but it was a it was a literal um, enjoyment of the way that the TV programs are put together. They were like mini essays rather than like um, entertainment value. This is this, this is that. It's, it, they never came across as that. They never come across as style over substance. It was always substance, but we're going to make sure the style equals that substance. So I've been a huge fan of Anthony Bourdain ever since I first saw um, a Cook's tour many, many moons ago. And through all the different variations of programming he's done, from the layover to uh, um, parts unknown. So when he committed suicide a couple of years ago now, it was one that really hit me quite badly. No, it didn't like alter my my trajectory in life. I, no one, no one celebrity's death has ever done that to me, but it definitely made me very sad for a period of time and very invested in the people that he held around him, like uh, David Cho, um, David Chang. um, There's there's, there's a a few people that he held very close to him that I I became very invested in through him. And then obviously I, I saw the effects that he had on those people. And then there was a load of bullshit that came out just after he died um, about him being involved with the Clintons. Well, not involved in the Clintons. He was about to um, expose the Clintons about paedophiles. And the Alex Jonesation of his death was something that really upset me. Um, so I was eager to watch this both on a learning anything that I didn't already know about him and then also um, putting to bed the bullshit. And he kind of did both, but it was possibly, and I can't say this about anything else I've ever watched because I am a fanatical film fan. I will watch films over and over and over and over again with no care at all. Even stuff that I don't particularly find good, I will watch again. And I adored this as a piece of um, film, documentarianism, uh, art, for want of a better description. But I don't think I could ever watch it again because it was, hands down, probably one of the saddest things I've ever watched in my life. And it wasn't, it doesn't mean that there was anything uh, monumentally groundbreaking in what was known about him other than what surrounded his immediate death um, and basically did exactly what I thought it was going to do, which was basically uh, <laughs> remove the, the bullshit, batshit conspiracy theory away from the fact that he was an incredibly sad man who had been betrayed and had wanted to kill himself for quite some time but never followed through with it and 
the right circumstances and the right situation happened to him and he decided to take that plunge and, and succeeded. He was a successful suicide. Um, but it was just the utter heartache of those around him and how hurtful he could be towards them. People that he expressed deep, deep affection for and love and just how flawed of a human being he is. And often we find that the most talented souls are not saints. They never can be. It, the, the, it dictates that they cannot be a saint. You cannot be exceptionally talented in one aspect without it being taken away from another aspect of life. And this for, for Anthony Bourdain was that he had an exceptional talent for writing and creating. And he was incredibly loved by everyone. But he himself despised that attention. He ultimately wanted to be able to create what he created and not suffer the insufferableness of fame, which is something we see over and over again. And yet the people that don't have the fame are the ones that, the, the ones that find it so hard to understand as to why... Nobody wants it, but then we're surrounded by stories and news and and how many? I mean, how many times have you heard about people winning the lottery and then it destroying their lives? More times than I would say that there's people that have won the lottery and they've made it a success. Because I don't think we're supposed to. I don't think humans as a species are supposed to have that kind of. Um overwhelming um, control of something. I, d I don't. I think we work way better as a as a cooperative than we do as a singular system. Um, and that's proven time and time again. We, we are, our brains just kind of misfire as soon as we we forget that there are other people that, that or if there's other people that we have to kind of protect and and um, work for and towards. And this is one of the many problems that I kind of struggle with, and I suppose that mankind struggles with, is that the more connected we are, I suppose, the more lost in the source we are. We, we Everyone just becomes a, a, a rudimentary number rather than an individual with individual needs and effects on the way that other people's lives are ran and dictated to. And I suppose it's difficult because we've never lived in a more technologically advanced time, but we are we have I don't think we've ever been simultaneously as connected and disconnected. Because whenever whenever it seems that people are so concerned about injustice, it has to be on the most public of platforms, which is why you can't fart on Twitter or Instagram without being called both a revolutionary and a fascist all in one <laughs> all in one go it's it's mind-boggling how anyone how anyone wants to be famous these days is beyond me i wouldn't want to be famous for all the tea in china i mean popular i mean i'm a leo so you know there's that but famous famous hell no
who wants that kind of that bombardment of disdain, judgment? I mean, the only way I mean, I suppose the only way I'd be able to do it is if I literally lived in a cabin that had no Wi-Fi, no television, no access to anything. But what fun would that be? I suppose it would be fun in a way, but only for a short period of time. But yeah, so that's uh, that was a day that really stood out to me, and I thought it was really the dichotomy of kind of a really wonderful. I suppose yeah, I suppose that's something to take away with it. I, I, I and it feeds into each other as well. Having a wonderful family moment, a, a couple of hours of spending quality time with my family, watching something that we all took away. We so we've got my youngest, which is eleven years old, Travis. Joshua, who's 14, Jake, who's 15, um, my wife and myself, who are an undisclosed age, nowhere near that. Um, and we all took away that it was a fantastic movie. It all spoke to us in different ways, but also in in many ways that were exactly the same. And that was a wonderful experience. And then I had another wonderful experience, but in a completely different way. And this was completely on my own. Um, watching this documentary for a couple of hours, feeling absolutely saddened and upset and terrible. But mainly because I don't feel anything like Anthony Bourdain did during his lifetime. I do love life. Do, does it mean I hate it sometimes? Yes, of course it does. Does it mean I'm happy all the time? Of course I don't. Have I ever felt about doing something? Of course I have. But I, but I I obviously have the trigger switch that goes, no, 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 no. Because I've, I've, I've struggled with mental health before and I've, and I've openly said to people um, that um, I have... Uh, anyone that says they've never thought about suicide or what it would be like if they weren't there is a liar. There's no way. It's just that it's how you rationalise it. In no way, shape or form have I ever thought for even for a millisecond of, of following through of anything never so yeah so that was a, a day in particular that has really stood out and i thought again it's all accountable baby all accountable so something really positive that happened literally in the last 24 hours and this kind of links into the next couple of things i want to speak about but i so last March, during the very first lockdown, I signed up to a gym. Now, I have signed up to many gyms before, and it has never kind of worked out, and it's I've never been able to um, stay at it long term. But the reason why I joined this gym is essentially because my wife and my son, Joshua, who's made three uh, mentions in this podcast already um had been there for for uh, about seven months before no maybe a year over a year actually um it's a, a fighting gym it's called fight silly gym ironically uh so it, it specializes in mixed martial arts brazilian jiu-jitsu muay thai boxing um but also does strength and conditioning and so on and so forth and yoga and my son, when he first joined, 
It's fifty. So yeah, he's been there three years. So yeah, so a while ago actually, uh, he joined when he was uh, hundred. I mean, he was twelve. He was one hundred and twenty-five kilos. I think he was. So he was a, no, yeah, one hundred and twenty kilos. So he was a big boy, very big boy. He was quite tall for his age, but he was very overweight, and his self-confidence had taken a lot because he was he'd had a, an altercation on the bus when he was in his first year of secondary school. So we were very, me, me and mom were very um, enthusiastic about him going to this gym. We basically drove past, it's five minutes from our house, we drove past, we're like, oh my God, it's a fighting gym. He must go. He must learn the ways and destroy his enemies. Um, so we, we semi-asked him slash forced him to go and he didn't want to go at first, but then he started going to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu uh, he started doing Muay Thai, started doing boxing, loved it, fell in love with it. He's now, what, three years on. Uh, he is a green belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, although he should be a blue belt, but because of his age, he cannot be a blue belt as of yet because of the way the regulations are. Um, he is, in all sense and purposes, the future of fighting as we know it, the next Conor McGregor, um, if only in mine, his mom's, and his own head, occasionally. So he had set the foundation for me seeing the benefits of this. And my wife had been going there for about a year as well. Um, and she started doing Muay Thai and, um, Nicola has always been very, very, uh, uh, initially up for doing it, but then through anxieties of her own, um, not wanting to continue and the same as me essentially. But I saw how, bigger difference it had made in her own anxiety and her own levels of confidence and I saw how um popular they were and and how much good feedback they were getting and, I, and then an opportunity became where it was like a six-week program you pay a certain amount of money and after the six weeks you can either live, love it or leave it so I went sod it I joined um lockdown was about to come to an end and we were about about to go back into gyms um so I thought it was a good good time so I think it was like two three weeks um online and then um three weeks or four weeks in the in the actual gym and it it, it was all encompassing so it covered nutrition mental um so nlp elements of nlp with neuro neurolingu neurolingu oh my god nlp neurolinguistic programming there we go and um just looked at the psychology of it it wasn't just like you you will lose weight you must do this this amount of reps will get you a ripped bod it's it's not that kind of thing it was more of a um all-encompassing kind of look at um health and well-being so i joined and did really well um stuck to the nutrition plan because i mean i was uh, as you already know i was 41 stone at my heaviest at that time i was 150 four kilos so i was i was putting weight back on again from losing a load of it um and i was acutely aware of that and i did not and that was what was affecting my mental health i think more than anything else so i was really passionate about trying to give this a go did really well at it stuck to all the classes um started seeing uh, gains um almost immediately lost 10 kilos in the first six weeks which is really good um signed up for a full membership was allowed into there what they call the inner circle, which was like people that did exceptionally well. 
um, during the six-week stuff. Then uh, started getting really passionate about Muay Thai. I've always been passionate about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but never been able to really practice it because of my health. Um, it started to do that, although that is still something that I'm struggling with, but that's mainly because of doing it as an amputee rather than having access to all my limbs, so it's proving quite a struggle. But all in all, it was going really, really well. So fast forward, instead of going through all the, the incremental shit that's been going on, fast forward, um, I've been trying to get a supplementary leg. So as, a, as an amputee, you are provided one leg through the National Health Service um, without going private. Now, private can cost gargantuan amounts of money for uh, prosthetic limbs. And obviously, it still costs quite a bit on the NHS, but obviously, um, I've got a really good relationship with the prosthetist that I have. Um, she is phenomenal. I cannot see myself ever going to anywhere anyone else, so she better stick around. Um, but yeah, did I wouldn't want to go private even if I had the opportunity to, to be honest with you. But anyway, she, I've, I had problems with my amputation, so it means that I still suffer a lot of pain. I've got a lot of excess tissue, and it's just not fantastic. So no matter what prosthetic I have, it's still very painful. And that became apparent to um, my main trainer at the gym, Dina, and other members of staff, that obviously I was really putting the effort in, but it was becoming more of more of a struggle because um, although I have a prosthetic that gives you an articulating ankle, um, I needed more. I needed more mobility. Um, and the my weight, which meant that I could only have a certain type of prosthetic versus um, everything else, meant that it was just more and more problematic. As things went by and, and I lost mass and tissue was becoming looser, it was becoming more and more and more problematic. So I really needed a, a, um, a prosthetic limb that was going to be able to help and support me. But because I was still in this kind of transitional state, um, it wasn't really a viable option. So I, I really, really dug down and put the effort in. Has it been perfect? No. Have there been times where I've, I've fallen off the wagon? Yes. But again, it comes back to what I was saying earlier about it does not matter how long you fall off the horse for as long as you get back on that fucker. And I did. And I really stuck at it and I and I tried and tried and tried and uh, my wife deserves a, f a monumental amount of credit for giving me the kick up the arse and telling me it's okay and listening to my inane bullshit when I'd say about, oh, I can't do this and... I, I and just the general general things that amazing women have to listen to from idiotic men like me. Um, but I stuck at it and stuck at it, and um, I had to write a um, testimonial for myself, and I asked Dina, my main coach, um, to write a testimonial for myself as well, and. Um, sent that off to um, the panel because when you, when you have to be considered for an additional limb, it has to go to panel because obviously there's additional costs involved in that. And long story short, they accepted with flying colours because they'd seen um, the mental adjustment that I've made as well as the physical adjustment. And reading that, now I'm friends with, with Dina. Um She's a phenomenal human being, has done massive amounts, not just for myself, but for Nicola and for our son Joshua as well, as has her husband Leon, who is a, an absolute, he's like a, a pillar in my son's martial arts journey. He, he's his Muay Thai coach and Joshua is doing phenomenally well. He's 14, 
but spars with all the adults in the gym and spars very capably with them and beats some of them, doesn't beat others, but he's he's got the best foundation there is for a, a life in mixed martial arts, which is what he wants to do. And it's down to that family. So they're friends of ours. They're family friends. But also they're professionals. And they and she wrote it as a professional. And she wrote words that I will take for me, with me, forever. I'll never forget that. But it was so good reading that because, again, I have shit full brains when it comes to me, myself. And yet reading my hard work put on paper by somebody that, okay, has a a small vested interest in me as a, as a person, as a friend, but has more of a vested interest as a professional, who's a professional personal trainer who takes his shit very seriously and her reputation is on the line. So she's not going to blow smoke on my ass. She says how it is. But to read those words were phenomenal. And it gave me, and it's so, it's a lot of people would think of it as an e- egotistical move, but I, I really don't think so. Although, yes, it is in a way, but not for in the facetious kind of underhand thing that a lot of people consider as egotistical. Because I think ego is actually a very important thing. And ego should not be um, classified as this completely um, uh, negative aspect because it really isn't. Ego is needed. You need to have confidence in yourself. You need to go, do you know what? I am the shit. But you also have to have the rational side of you that goes, well, you're not rational. You're not the shit right now, are you? So it's you need to have both of those. You need to have both of those heads on that hydra of, of your personality. But I think, but I'd much rather have ego from reading what other people have put that I know is honest rather than having ego from what I think about myself. Although a little bit of that wouldn't go amiss. I probably wouldn't be in the yo-yo state that I'm in if I, I had a little bit of that. But small wins. So I think it's really important that if you have people in your life, if you have a personal trainer, get them to write like a synopsis, like a, a, a six-month report of how they think you're doing. What have you done? Because it we we are so unreliable as a witness in anything, let alone our own lives. We make up the biggest amount of crap to either placate or 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 to damage or to strengthen our own egos. It's mind-boggling. And I think it's it's really healthy to have that kind of feedback from people, not just not from anyone. Don't be asking your best friends to like a synopsis of your friendship. No, what I mean is somebody who is in your life but in a professional capacity in some way, shape, or form. Or it can be a friend, but a friend that you know is a good friend. To actually lay down some foundation in your own kind of house, build, you're building yourself up. You need that foundation in anything. Doesn't matter if it's career, if it's romantic um, life, if it's parenthood, you need a, a strong foundation. So invest that time into yourself. Go find, go and get some feedback. But from people that you know are going to give it to you straight. Cause you, and and be also be mindful that you are, are going to hear some things that you need to to um, maybe deal with. But it's okay. It doesn't mean that you're a bad human being. It just means that you're flawed, which means that you're like every single other human being on the planet. There are six billion of us out there. And you are no 
more or less broken than anyone else. It's just the way that you rationalize it. And the way that you deal with the rationalization is you, you write down everything that's affecting you in your life right now and you prioritize the ones that you have direct control over. Anything that you cannot implement or influence goes out the window for now. It doesn't mean you forget about them. It means that they are cast to one side because you have no control over them. And I guarantee you what will happen is the things that you can work on will then feed into the ones that you cannot and they in turn will then be fixed. Is that something that I do in my own life? Partially. But at least I'm trying to implement that. But it, I, I stand by it. You cannot worry about things that you do not have a direct control over. Control, control the things you can, shelve the things you can't, and come back to them when you've achieved what you can control. And I guarantee you, you will then be able to control those things too. Other than things like, you know, being able to fly and being invisible. That's just a sign that you might be a bit... Anyway, the last thing I'm going to speak about today, because I can already see what the time is chugging on, and it kind of feeds into everything else. Again, it feeds into the anti name thing of being really sad, but also um, taking something from that in a positive aspect is, and I'll, I'll read you the exact in my notes, the motivation of misery and why yours is not necessarily mine. What do I mean by that? Well, I am a child of, I was born in 1980. I was a child of the 90s, obviously, and the, the music of the 90s influenced me in, in a huge, huge way. I'm a huge fan of music, always have been, always will be. Um, I initially was into a lot of pop music, like most kids were. But then in the early 90s, um, started to turn more and more alternative into kind of um, first of all, kind of the Britpop and um, indie scene into um, punk and oi and ska um, and ska punk and then into metal and, and everything in between. And now I have a, quite an eclectic mix of that. But I have always been inspired and motivated by um, music that would probably depress and or irritate 90% of the population. So whereas you may listen to, if you like kind of pop music or even hip-hop, whatever, you may look for music that has like really motivating lyrics about happiness and success and everything else. I don't necessarily get that. I will, I will take motivation from songs that talk about depression or homelessness or um p political standpoints or death or anything around that and it's not to say that i enjoy all those all of those subjects far from it but i think i i i look or i feel the passion and the and the expression of the person singing those lyrics or the band that's playing those songs and i can hear the angst and the anger and the or all the all the resolution or the the all the the cathartic uh process that that person's going through to write those lyrics and write and play those songs and that's what motivates me so it could be a song say i don't know 
Um, People Equal Shit, which is not the most motivating of song titles, by Slipknot, which is my go-to song that I used to play almost every day as a mantra of going into work in a call centre um, for Sky TV because it was motivating me to do the best I could do for that day because, generally speaking, I fucking hated that job. But it was a way of putting myself in a like a meditation, like a meditative state, and I used to listen to music real loud, obnoxiously loud. And uh, the people I used to work with knew I was coming because they could hear that. It was like an anthem, like entrance music to a, like a WWE superstar. So, um, yeah, and and it's something I've always, if, if I'm motivated in the gym, it's heavy music, dark music. It doesn't mean I don't enjoy listening to Britney Spears or anything else, because I do occasionally. There are songs, I, I mean, me and my wife have... Um, um, that you got a work bitch love that song absolutely love that song love toxicity there's like i mean i'm a, an ex radio dj so i i love uh pop music but it has to be the right kind of pop music not the inane drivel that i kind of hear these days but that's the old fuddy duddy in me but again again but i'm not expecting anyone i'm expecting some that and but but i would say it's probably some that Grew up in the in similar music circles than I did, and and maybe similar kind of social situations than I did, would share that same kind of um, motivation. It's like um, Papa Roach, um, their most famous song, which talks about suicide, self harm. I'm a huge motivational song for me. Not because I enjoy any of those subject matter, but because it's a resolute. I'm still here. I'm still alive. I'm still fighting. I'm still um, present in the now. That's what you take away from those kinds of songs. And I think that you need to... Well, the way that I'm trying to kind of communicate it to all of you guys is that you don't have to like the same shit that everyone else does in order to feel a certain way. And don't you dare use that as an excuse as to why you feel a certain way about something. Far from it. Whatever whatever you whatever you like, as long as it does not harm another living thing, is your thing. You can't... No one can take that away from you, and, and you should never suppress that. Um, and you should never think that you're the only one, because I guarantee you there is at least... A thousand other people, 10,000, 10 million other people that feel exactly the same way as you, but they also feel exactly the way same as you, that they can't be like that. It's not right. You shouldn't feel that way. It's like dark humor. My, my comedic, um, my comedi comedic kind of heroes are all, well, not all, but majority are very, very dark, twisted individuals. But I take, and joke about things that ordinarily people would say if they had said anything like that in the real world, I'd probably knock their teeth down their throat. But because, number one, I'm an adult and I understand that humour is different than real life, but also, two, that it's an, it's completely natural for humans to find joy, sorrow, and uh, motivation from the most unlikely of sources, that I understand that that's just how it is. So... 
when I like comedians like Bill Hicks or Frankie Boyle or Mitch Hedberg or anything like that, it's because I take a certain thing from it. And the same way that I, that things depress me, it's a, it's a, it's a completely uh, personable thing. So why why should if 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 everything in your life is personable to yourself, and you need to start taking um, information and advice as guidelines that are not they are not catchemalls. There's no ash catchems when it comes to psychology and and kind of. By all means, they can pick up on traits, and you're probably most likely to be a certain way because of this. But it's not, it's not a, a be all and end all of everything. And then the problem is that we are we are taught and kind of fed that we all have to be a certain way. We all have to like a certain thing. We all have to get the 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 iPod on release, and we all have to like the Kardashians, and we all have to like this, that, and the other. And it's nothing could be further from the truth. And I think this is why we see more and more separation, more and more civil unrest, more and more um, anger and hatred towards other people is because we're all expected to be all or nothing. You either have to like all of this or you don't. If you don't like one thing, then you're against us. And if you're against us, then we don't want to know. And I think there needs to be far more acceptance of individuality everyone wants to be individual and have their rights and freedoms but no one wants to be understanding towards anyone else but themselves it's funny that isn't it anyway on that note i'm going to end it there because i've done i've got back on the horse the horse has neighed i've fed it some straw and a sugar lump and now it's time to put it back in its stable and find a better analogy because that was fucking terrible but anyway until next time i'm jay this is accountable and thank you for listening.